Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and helping me with the news this week is my co host, Matt Durumpets. Good evening, Matt. And good. Wait, afternoon to you. No, that's wrong. It's afternoon for me and evening for you. Nice try, but I'm paying attention this time, I promise. You've lost all track of time because you were doing the iRacing Daytona 24 hours, which, by the way, is way too long for a single race. I would have done several shorter races, but that's on you. And you enjoyed it. You entered with uh, one of several Missed Apex teams that was entering that event and uh, did quite well. Yeah, well, I think we did uh, very well, uh, given that we sustained damage early on and had to drive with uh, reduced top speed. Uh, But we didn't do the best of all the teams. The LMP2 team did the very best. I think they finished fourth in their split. Well done. Well done to those guys. But we are going to focus on a little bit of F1 news. I was surprised, actually, with the amount of news there was out there in the news cycle. Um, Matt did the heavy lifting and just prepared the show notes. And I went, oh, wow, loads is going on at the moment. Yeah, well, it's amazing what you can find when you're sat around between stints at uh, 24 hours iRacing event, which is actually 29 or 30 hours once they account for all the technical difficulties. Roger that. We are still, though, an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And accounting for 95% of that wrongness is our race analyst, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Alex? It was going well until that comment. Thanks. Oh, um, 
Yeah, no, it's, it's all right. Um, it's it's nice to be back on. I haven't been on in since like two races before the end of the season and trying to catch up with some F1 news. So it's been interesting reading up on some things today. So we'll uh, we'll have some debates, no doubt. Right, and also us as an organisation, as a group of content creators, we said that we would be kinder to each other. So I am going to try and pay you a compliment. Um, I think you have the potential to be quite good looking. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I probably passed that. You're I had welcome. that when I was slightly younger, and I think I'm just getting older. You know, a bit of the, a bit of the grey might might work, but I don't know. Distinguished. Oh, speaking of distinguished, we've got our video editor, Uncle Steve. Uncle Steve, Amy, how's it going, Steve? It's going well. Thanks, Spanners. I'm excited to be back. It's been a while. You're an absolute lunatic when it comes to hours and working with us here at Miss Apex. It works <laughs> brilliantly because I guess it's your morning time when we finish up and you do your video magic. But um, I messaged you, oh, in, in the afternoon sometime. Here's the show notes, Steve. And you're like, yep. And I, I went, why is he re- responding? And it was four o'clock in the morning in Australia. Why were you up at four in the morning? Um, I'd been pretty busy. I hadn't had a chance to really catch up with the F1 news. And uh, it was a big day yesterday. So instead of doing it yesterday, I drank lots of Bollinger and <laughs> got pretty pissed. So uh, I had to get up early this morning then in order to do some homework before you know we went up live. Alrighty then. Well, let's fire straight into... Dirty News. The news brought to you today by Trumpets. Trumpets, they're excellent for making an annoying sound with a relatively simple control system. Trumpets, ask your doctor if Trumpet is right for you. Uh, Matt, the, without responding to that slur on your profession, um, the first news story caught me a bit by surprise. Is Jensen Button getting a role at Williams. Uh, what's he going to do for them? It's not a drive, I assume. No, he is now being hired as there. Well, good question. Nobody is really quite sure, but clearly it's going to help the team a lot. No, I, I think the issue is, I don't really know. I had this discussion earlier, and someone was like, what is he going to do for them? Maybe help the drivers some? And, and that would be the obvious thing for him to do. But it's important, I think, to remember that, that Williams do have new owners, And those new owners are not really part of the Formula One family in the way that Jensen Button is. So the the headline role that he seems to have is an advisory role. That's all that's been said. It's a multi-year advisory role, Gene. What do you reckon he's he's there for? It's going to be for various things. First of all, he's a very public figure in Formula One as 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 Trumpet says, he's part of the history of the sport. So when when you've got new owners of a team young drivers um you go to jensen he can be on a lot of your campaign stuff he can be there for meet and greets and things like that when we can actually meet and greet people again um but i think he'll be there as a driver coach in a sense i think he'll be very working with the drivers to help bring them up might even help with setup and being inside i think he can i think he can be quite multifaceted at what he's doing in working in little different elements where he can just say well you know at mclaren they do this and at such and such, they do this, where I don't think this role would have come up if Frank was still running the team, because it's Frank's team and Frank looks after it all. But now I think they're a bit of a case of, right, we've got this entity now, what do we do with it? Well, and I really want to jump on that and say that the thing that they probably really want from him uh, would be two things. One, I bet he can read between the lines yeah. better than anybody. What's happening in Formula One versus what teams and people and political people are saying. 
And you can't overlook the value of the network he has. Network inside of Formula One, a network with broadcasting, a network with everything else as well. And finally, as you say, mm. I mean, he is pretty marketable even today. I mean, Steve, if you look at your compatriot, uh, Weber, Mark Weber, he seems to team up quite nicely with the likes of David Coulthard. And these guys are way more influential than than we realize. I mean, Coulthard in particular, um, you know, they own media outlets. They are, are so well connected. Um, you know, a lot of involvement in W Series, I think, for Coulthard as well. Um, it could just be that Buttons built that network up himself as well. Oh, I think that that's exactly right. I think Matt is correct, um, that that's one of the resources that they will draw on. Um, you know, his contact book in terms of the business must be ginormous. Um, I, I, I just had a slight question about whether or not he's the right man to do that. I know he's, you know, British and he was a Williams driver. I've, I've got to say that I think that... There are probably some better drivers out there if you wanted to get someone in as a driver advisor. But uh, in terms of an overall industry sort of contact man and ambassador, yeah. he's probably unbeatable. I, I wonder if the, the, the driver coach bit is probably overstated. The fact is he's a very, very charismatic dude. He's got one of those kind of Disney prince faces hasn't he and uh and if you have like a business meeting and you're turning up to potential sponsors and you've got the arm candy of jensen button they're more likely to sign on the dotted line aren't they um where should we go jeansy and then matt for for lack of a better word he, he he'll be a very good fluffer Ooh. for the team no yes yeah, find in a the better sense, word in, <laughs> in the in the sense of he can just pull lots of things together and just make everything more attractive and also he'll be very very good at making split decision um, random wet weather calls. Oh, don't, don't. You know that triggers me. <laughs> Jensen Button, he would roll the dice. It's a, you know, and if it went well, he'd tell everyone he's a genius. And when it didn't go well, he'd quietly not mention it. Trumpets. Well, uh, Mr. AJ Scotty in the chat asks, Button doing a louder roll? Oh, and yeah. I think in a way, but not to the same extent, don't forget, Lauda owned a chunk of Mercedes race team. And I don't believe that's the case here. He's very much a hired gun at the moment. But I think they, I think Doralton has realized that they do need someone now that the Williams family is gone. They need someone who's part of the Formula One family to sort of have that role with the Formula One community. And I think this may be their first attempt at solving that problem. I mean, it's a reasonably ambitious get, though, isn't it? It's a big name signing. It shows potential investors that they've got um some kind of um some kind of ambition and key thing is if jensen button says a thing then it's going to be on motorsport.com isn't it so he's on motorsport.com now talking about oh williams aren't afraid to to be different they aren't afraid to push forward they're not afraid of changing everything and because it's jensen button that said it everyone cares whereas i'm not sure i would have necessarily read a statement from derolton's marketing manager Ah, good. Okay, I think that's all we can say about that. It'll be interesting to see uh, how much he is out and about. I I am imagining that he will very much be uh, a go-to spokesperson. Um, maybe not dissimilar in the way to louder was. All right, we're going to make aspersions to Red Bull Racing's uh, motivations, aren't we? Uh, you could unkindly say that Red Bull is holding F1 
to to hostage. And if the F1 doesn't do what Red Bull says, they are definitely leaving this time. Definitely. They mean it. They're running away from home. They're not just going around the block like the last four times. Right? And they're not going to come home when they're hungry. They're definitely leaving. Yeah, well, it's always one of F1's favorite off-season games. <laughs> Who's going to quit this year? Yeah, is it Ferrari or Red Bull? Who's quitting this year? And you always see all the top teams um, trying to play the political game in the press. And and the game that Red Bull is playing is particularly high stakes because, as we may remember, Honda has now decided that they don't wish to be in Formula One anymore after spending, oh, I don't know, enormous sums of money that I'd rather not think about being spent on such things. They've decided it's not worth their while going forward, uh, but they've agreed to continue providing the engines they've already made to Red Bull, which only works if nobody else goes forward developing the engines they have. So it's all about what they're calling the engine freeze now. Okay, right. So I think we need to establish, Steve, did you have a point on there? But after that, I want to establish what the engine freeze is. But Steve, Amy, in Australia land. Well, well, I was just going to say, it seems a bit weird that right at the moment, Red Bull have one of the two competitive engines in Formula One, okay. what they're saying to the rest of the field is, okay, guys, for the next three years, you have to just stop and put up with us beating you. <laughs> now, mm. that's the spirit of competition is not that, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, but okay, so that feels like that is what they're saying. But from Red Bull's point of view, I guess they feel like they've got an unfair disadvantage coming up because... I don't know if they announced it or or if it's official yet, but everything I'm hearing says that they're taking over from the Honda, the Honda operation, and they just just slap a, a, a new Red Bull engine badge on there, or maybe like a Tag Heuer engine type type deal. So they're going to have an inherent disadvantage as they start a brand new engine operation. Yes, they'll have all the Honda resources. I think they're just going to buy the whole job lot and bring it to the UK. But is that what they're protecting against? Because they think they're going to have a disadvantage. Therefore, they need some kind of, they want a freeze. They're asking for a freeze. Well, this is actually coming on the backs of a freeze that had previously been discussed. Before we had the Honda news, the power unit manufacturers themselves um, were talking about a way to, to cap the amount of money being spent on power unit development. Because unlike everything else in Formula One that's now being talked about, there's not a, there's not been a cost cap on development or the amount of money that you could choose to spend as a power unit manufacturer. You could spend three billion euros developing your power unit if you chose <gasps> That's to. So much, and, and there's no there's no rules at all. And even the manufacturers who normally profit by taking advantage from spending stupid amounts of money on things have agreed that like it's not really in their best long term interest. So there were already discussions about a way to do this with Honda leaving what Red Bull sees is our choices to continue with the Honda engine. We get at the end of this season, which we will, which they are already saying they lack the resources to develop. So they're going to lose three years of development to Mercedes and to Renault and to Ferrari. If there's not merely a freeze on the engine, but also a freeze sort of on development. Now, if we're going to be fair to Red Bull, which annoyingly we probably should be since we're sort of in that place. Well, I'm a massive uh, Red Bull fan. What are you talking about? I've all and, and, be... and have always been. Oh, 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 
Oh, that's right. That's because Perez just had a seat fitting this week, isn't it? God, that's a coincidence. Van Jean, come on, I'm being slandered here. Um, I think I think also what you're seeing with Red Bull is they must be happy with the way their engine currently is. Because if they, if they weren't happy with the engine at the moment, they wouldn't be making this kind of a fuss. So maybe they're at a case where, okay, the engine's working, it's reliable, we're not that far, we're, we're kind of just behind Mercedes, let's keep it that way and let's freeze it. Yeah, well, essentially you're not too far off because the big bone of contention here has been whether it's an outright freeze, no one develops anything, you just, you, wherever you are, you're allowed to change out parts for for reliability purposes, but you're not allowed to change out parts to improve performance versus uh, what they're talking about is a plan whereby the engines are benchmarked and if you're X percent behind, then you're allowed to do some development to catch up to the other engines, sort of trying to keep them all in the same ballpark. For Red Bull, that plan is disadvantageous because they do not have the same resources for development that Mercedes, Ferrari, and Renault do. So they don't want that. But if you're Renault, for example, or Mercedes, you, you might want that in case it turns out you've made a mistake somewhere and you're stuck 30 or, I mean, think about Ferrari last year. They couldn't change their power unit at all. And look at what happened to them. Nobody wants to be stuck in that position for three years. So this is what they're calling the safety net. And all of the arguments are really coming down to how the safety net is going to work for the engine manufacturers. But what they have said is that if they don't get an agreement, there is no plan B. They won't buy a Renault or a Mercedes or a Ferrari and move on. They have no plan if this doesn't work out for them. Well, you can spin it any way you like, trumpets, but it, it still smells as if Red Bull are asking for uh, the rules to be suspended in their favour and everybody else can go take a running high dive. I mean, I can totally understand that the people at Renault, and they've been working hard to improve their engine, uh, and they seem to have uh, made some advances on all of that, and their engine was getting better uh, during the last season. You can can spin it however you like, but I think it's absolutely outrageous that Red Bull think that everyone else should just dance to their tune. On a slightly different note, Matt, I mean, we're making a lot of assumptions that Mercedes have the best engine. And I know that is the common belief, but I've, I'm just holding off slightly because the, the teams that have had Mercedes engines haven't typically been second or, or even third. They've been further back down the field. With McLaren moving to Mercedes next year, I think that's a really good indicator of, okay, well, here's a team that finished third. How much does the Mercedes engine actually improve them? Uh, Jeansy? I think also, when you, I, I agree with you on the sense of, People put a lot behind that Merck engine because when the engines first came out, it was so far ahead. Mm. But the way the, the thing I think about is Ross Braun. And Ross Braun was really, really happy in 09 for everyone to think that the big thing about that car was the double diffuser. And he was like, we had so much other stuff under the skin on that car that did so much as well as the double diffuser. The double diffuser was a great distraction because that's all everyone focused on. And look, the engine can make a huge difference because look at Ferrari, they've been hobbled. I think Helmut Marco was saying something along the lines of, oh, they were 50 brake horsepower down last season, but they probably had other problems too. But it's probably not a coincidence that also Haas and, and Alfa Romeo were affected as well. So I'm not saying the engine can't have an effect, 
but it's not like putting a Mercedes engine in your car has made you, you know, accelerated you to the top of the the top of the the top of the table. And Alex is right, 2014, maybe that was the case because they got such a big jump in 2014 and Williams looked amazing. In fact, didn't Williams finish second in 2014? Well, there we go. So apart from that one thing that ruins my argument, I'm definitely right, Matt. So if we ignore certain facts, I was correct. Well, this is often the case with arguments. If we just ignore <laughs> that one or two yeah. pesky facts that have asserted themselves. No, and, and uh, Philip Allen in the chat brings up an important issue too, which is that part of what's causing this problem is that the FIA is wanting to move to a new fuel. Now, we've been using E5 fuel, which means 5% of the fuel is ethanol. And they want to move to E10, but that requires a reworking of the engine. And I don't believe, I don't believe Honda are at a point where they are going to do that. So the introduction mm. of a new fuel will, will massively complicate this picture. Now, the good news for Red Bull is Mercedes are not necessarily on board. What they would rather do is move to the 100% biofuel and move the engine regulations back to 2025. Right, but what they really should do, of course, is use SO Supreme Plus 99, available at all retailers except the Northwest. Uh, that seems like the obvious solution to me, Gene Z, but what do I know? You know, I'm just a, just a humble broadcaster. But also, on the whole situation with regards to the Mercedes engine being the best engine, no other team is ever going to come out and actually say they've caught Mercedes or they're better than Mercedes now because it's a really, really good thing, like Red Bull have been doing. You know, we don't actually know how close they really, really are, but we also know that Red Bull pile on downforce. So, yeah, of course your Red Bull is going to be slower in a straight line than Mercedes, and Max loves to say it. Oh, yeah, yeah, we were, th- we were with them through the corners, but we were losing to them down the straight. That's because you've got more downforce. Yeah, there's nothing like a bit of, like, underdog, Rocky style, like, we, we conquered against all the odds. It makes... Um makes all your wins better hamilton's the best at that jeans he isn't he he's like you know he's 40 seconds ahead unchallenged the whole weekend oh it was a really tough race out there man <laughs> like the tires were going away everything's there. and he loves it how that's people criticize hamilton for that i actually love that element of drama where he's like you know trying to make it seem like oh it could have gone wrong at any moment the engine was on the limit oh yeah that's okay we don't mind that i, I understand i understand why he does it because he, he well First of all, you don't know how challenging it is. He's getting old now. He's like 35. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and things are getting difficult. But, um, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those things. Like, does he mean it or is it pantomime? I like to think he means it. We'll, we'll move away from does. Lewis Hamilton. But just to say on that matter of age, like as fit as he appears and looks, he is definitely at the age where he 100% goes when sitting down in a chair like he's absolutely at that stage Uh, matt you're very familiar with making that sound i'm sure Uh, there's cracking involved when you do it um we mentioned perez getting his seat fit briefly can i just briefly just go woohoo because that was quite cool seeing him in uh, red bull gear and whilst everyone was being excited about the inauguration i was like yeah it's perez day change woohoo change yeah no there uh signs got a seat fitting there were there were several drivers that got seat fitting Oh, but one other interesting thing about this particular season and at Red Bull is the fact that the cars are going to be so, in many ways, similar to last year. Mm. Now, normally Red Bull is a team that does not um, start the season quickly, shall we say? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and as frustrating as that is, 
there was an interesting interview with Max Verstappen uh, in which he posited that a big chunk of that, and especially for last season, was that they depend a lot on track running to validate the parts they're putting on the car. And between COVID and the canceled races, it really put them behind the eight ball. But this year, most of the car will be the same. And he is hoping that the factory is paying a little bit of attention and maybe spending some more money and time on the wind tunnel and the CFD up front so that when the par- the the parts for the car hit the track, they do what they think they're supposed to, and they don't wait until they get to the track to find out. Oh, man. It feels like I get on the, the hype train every year, Steve, but um, I, I'm guessing that, uh, that you probably hate Red Bull after after Weber. Are you, are you a Red Bull fan? Um, no, not particularly. Um, as, as a team, I think that they do some questionable things occasionally. I think they have a sense of entitlement that, Oh, uh, that some other teams don't have, you know, course. that they and think they should be there, you know, they're better than everybody else. And I think that, uh, I mean, I don't hate them. They're certainly not my favourite team. I and, forgot and about Danny Rick, Steve. I forgot about Danny Rick yeah. as well. That's <laughs> uh, so okay. They, they treated Danny Rick just as bad as they treated Mark Webber. Um, but that's okay. Red Bull, you know, have got that kind of attitude with their drivers, particularly those ones that aren't named Max. Um, look, I actually hope they do well this year because if they do well this year, maybe it'll give them some optimism towards the future and they'll stop playing these stupid political games and get on with doing what they can do, and that is build a good car and put together a good team. All right, then, look, let's put this out to the wider panel then. Could it, Look, Red Bull are sort of famous for dumping especially young drivers when Al Gushwari and Boemi just got ditched in one season, that they've been playing driver ping pong and musical chairs with Albon and Gasly and, and stuff like that. And then now, ultimately, they've got two Red Bull program juniors at Toro, uh, not Toro Rosso, gosh darn, Alpha Tauri. Alpha Tauri. So they've got Kvyat and Albon, no, Kvyat and Gasly, uh, and uh, Albon's not even on. Oh, oh they're painful. I know. Albon's that off. Hurts. Is he doing it's some DTM or something like that? DTM. DTM. Yeah. So they've got three Red Bull juniors who are not gone gone. They're still in the system and they've got Perez in the seat. So they are notorious for that. But could it just be that, you know, they are just an organisation that treats, as the Simpsons says, as, as the Simpsons say, treats the driver as kind of ballast and they're very interchangeable. And you know, that's a philosophy that a lot of people uh, agree with. A lot of F1 fans think the driver stuff is, is under, uh, is overrated. Frank Williams certainly fired a lot of championship-winning drivers, didn't he? Yes. Because the fact the driver was not that that important. Yeah, Damon Hill, Jack Villeneuve, you're you're right there, Jeansy. And um, I I don't know. I think I I would rate the drivers as important, if not um, maybe an ultimate pace, but from like a consistency development, um, marketing, kind of building an aura in the way that like Michael Schumacher did, building a team around him, you know, being a political force. Be so big, in fact, Matt, be so big that F1 want you to win because you're good for them being a champ. Stefano Domenicali, I was talking to Joe earlier in the week. Stefano Domenicali, I said it right the first time, but I lost it. Domenicali, you know, is even kind of, egging on the Hamilton contract, saying, oh, we want Hamilton in. He can he can make history. He can be amazing, fantastic. So the driver is important, but Red Bull just are, you could even say they're brave with drivers. 
Well, yeah, they are. They're not afraid to make moves. They're not afraid to try things. And they're not afraid to say, well, we got it wrong. We're going to... it." But the problem for them, I think, is, is it's one of these interesting things. Is it's very much an optical problem. I, 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 as a musician, live in a world where I can show up, play a wrong note, and they will never call me again. And I just accept that is part of my reality. As a freelancer, that's often part of your reality. That, that's can, a, not your fault. And I've known this happen on Broadway shows. Yeah. You show up, you play your part perfectly, but the show goes badly. They never call you again because they assume you were the problem. I was going to say some of these uh, examples are very specific, Matt. They're like oddly specific examples. Yeah, because they've happened to me. They've happened to people that I know. Regardless of the talent you have, if you have a bad day that day, you don't get a second chance. And if you're talking about the best of the best of the best of the world, then, you know, that's okay. But when you're also talking about kids who are 18 years old and 20 years old, for a lot of people, that's also not okay. And I think they run into this problem where the driver's supply is so young, the way they get treated seems, uh, well, it seems rather, it's rather difficult for a lot of people to accept that that's really the way it is. Mm. And something that's as cutthroat as being a driver in Formula One. I I, I think we've gone too far with the, the driver ages. I, I'm sure I've ranted about it before, but like the, the drivers are too young coming into F1, in, in my opinion. Jeansy doesn't like that. But I, I think, you know, if you had a, a more competitive, a more high profile tiered system of driving, you you could have you know f2 really really means something like to graduate from f2 you've had good results over the course of several seasons it's not like oh you're the next on the queue and you won a championship okay bang up you go with your eight million pound dowry or whatever and go into a midfield team i I would wouldn't mind if drivers typically got into f1 because the driver market was so competitive that drivers typically didn't get into f1 until they were in their mid-20s i'd be fine with that if you had that you wouldn't have Max. You wouldn't have Lando. You wouldn't have had George. Yet. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have had Albon. You wouldn't have had half the exciting, amazing drivers on this grid. And you'd still have Jano Trulli and Giancarlo <laughs> Fisichella. And that's the problem. And David Coulthard really clearly said, when, and rightly said, when Max first came in, if you're fast enough, you're old enough. The only thing they're not necessarily mature enough to deal with, which is why they need lots of PR people around them, is that kind of stuff they come into a world to drive the car but then out the car expected to not behave like teenagers um but as far as the sport is concerned the sport would be worse off mm. if you didn't have the hottest and youngest and brightest that is completely untrue as 50 plus years of grand prix history will easily demonstrate to us should we bother to look backwards a bit the reason they want the young drivers is that your reaction time peaks at about age 21 or 22 and from there it's all downhill so what they overlook and especially in a series like formula one is first of all the unique challenge you have to deal with so much stuff but there's a lot of experience that's involved in getting good at it so what they like to do is get a young driver they pay them nothing if they think they work out they can move them up the ladder if not they chuck them out the door at age 20 And if you've ever talked to a former Olympian whose career was over at age 22, well, that's a pretty harsh thing. And there's, I think, a lot, and I don't know if it was Ross Braun or Adrian Newey, was very much on about, like, we need to deal with the issues of these junior drivers who are on this ladder. 
but don't get all the way to the top because they don't have a fallback plan. Well, I want to know um, how much the teams are disadvantaging themselves by only bringing really young drivers in, drivers who haven't had enough experience in developing a car. Surely a, a one of a dri- the driver's prime responsibilities when you get into a top level, well, when you get into a Formula One team, is to help that team develop a fast and competitive car. Uh, and to do that, you need to have... A range of experience. It's no good having come in only driven Formula Three cars or F three cars, and then be expected to take the lead development role in a Formula One team in terms of feedback to your engineers. So, how much do the teams? What's the balance between, you know, having a young driver? Yes, young drivers are good. They've got fast reaction time, but they don't have that experience. So, what's the balance? That's why you pair them with an older driver. Um, for example, Sainz when he was at Lando, because Sainz was a more mature driver and had been at the sport oh, for yes, a while. So old. You pair him with Lando. Granddad Sainz. You pair Daniel Ricciardo with um, with Esteban Ocon. You pair Lewis Hamilton with Valtteri Bottas because they bring in the young guys and they show them what to do. And as you said about the reaction, you know, the reaction time thing is so important. That's why, for example. Bottas gets closer to Lewis in qualifying because qualifying is all about that on the edge stuff. And you can always teach a fast guy other things. If you bring somebody in, he's not fast. If you've got someone who's not fast enough, it doesn't matter that he knows the other things because he's not fast enough to deal with it. So if he's gone over the bridge of what I hate to say over the 30 age, and all of a sudden (laughs) the talents that were okay to begin with have started to drop off, you want the young fast guys in. I'm 40 and I've never been faster in a go-kart or a sim racing. So that proves your argument wrong somehow. Trumpets. I have a two-word answer to that entire argument. Sergio Perez. All right. Go on. Yeah. The, yeah. If if young drivers were all that, why are we seeing Perez in at Red Bull? Because they're not. Because at a certain point, experience matters. Well, experience well, matters a lot. You wouldn't put young Perez in that role now. They wouldn't have hired him for the role that they're trying to get him to do, Gene Z. They want Red old Bull, Perez. Red Bull have made too many mistakes with too many young drivers. And Red Bull inherently don't treat their young drivers well. The one thing you have to be willing to do with a young driver is to nurture them. And Red Bull are rubbish at it. The savage. Except, sorry, except for your special cases in the likes of Max and Seb. It sounds like you have a young driver and an old driver standard there. I don't think that's right. Formula One is the top tier of motorsport. Yeah. If you were there and you can't cut it, how many excuses can we make for you before we need to bring in somebody who does? Yeah, it's not a pro-am, is it? And um, the answer to why I'm faster in my 40s than ever before is because I was terrible before and now I'm slightly less terrible. You started from quite a low base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got all you lot helping me as well. Uh, I cheat. I cheat by doing extra practice and getting you guys to um, to speak to me. For example, on an iRacing podcast. So you can listen to a sim racing iRacing podcast by searching for Missed Apex Podcast um, iRacing on your podcatcher of choice. At the moment, it's me and Brad. Uh, I just grill Bradley Philpot about the thing I'm struggling with. And we answer some listener questions as well go and check that out it's good for general racing too a lot of driving tips and um one of the episodes that's coming up soon is going to be me uh, matt and kyle and a another and we're going to talk about what happens when you basically uh, get fits of rage 
on the track. And I've, I've definitely had that in karting and I've had it in sim racing where I'm like, oh my God, it's so unfair. I didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't my fault. Everyone else is stupid. And um, there was a video that I had to ask a company to take down because I didn't know that their hired webcams had a microphone on them. I just thought that it, it, it records the, the, just records the driver action. And I watched it back and about 20 minutes in, not only did I completely lose it thinking I was just talking to myself, uh, but it turns out like it, it was not their fault. It was it was my fault. <laughs> was this the one at Rogue? It was the one at Rogue Racing. Yeah, but it's, it's down <laughs> I'm now. still waiting for that footage. No, no, no. It's <laughs> I it's, needed that footage. It's down and it's. Is hidden. that the one where Will punted me off? Uh, no, no. It was a completely different event. It was a completely different oh, okay. event to that. Um, but uh, oh, nice name drop. Oh yes, we went karting with Will Buxton. Let's let's give that flex a go. Um, right. So, Missed Apex I Racing podcast. Just giving that a plug, Matt. Yeah, we went karting with Alex Brundle too. And your point is, yeah. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, and one of us, no names mentioned, punted him into turn five at Rye House. But anyway, you know, we're not pointing any fingers. No one's blaming anyone. Love taps, etc. Nope. Uh, right then, uh, where should we move on to, Matt? I think we've got more uh, big, dirty news. We've got loads of news items, actually. We're never going to get through them all. Um, where, would you, where would you like to go next? Well, um, we should talk about Ferrari. Okay. Yeah, because even though I really want to talk about Mercedes' potential cooling solution that might have been glimpsed at McLaren by Craig Scarbs, Craig Scarborough, Scarbs F1, and how they've rearranged where the intercooler is, and that's like a massive change from a packaging point of view, but also potentially solves a lot of problems they previously had. I'm not going to talk about that because like it was demounted down low and now it's up high and now they reverse the inlet and the trumpets, but I'm not going to talk about that. No. Okay. Instead, I want to talk about Ferrari. Uh, first of all, and entertainingly enough, they're doing a massive seven-driver test at Fiorano over five days. It's going to include Carlos Sainz, and they're using one of their 2018 cars to do it. Now, for Sainz, it's all about just getting used to uh, the buttons and the procedures and the this and the that and the other. But the drivers they have taken part are Giuliano Alesi, okay. Marcus Armstrong, Robert Schwartzman, uh, but also... Mick Schumacher is being sent from Haas to do some running in a Ferrari. Imagine that. Well, yeah, Alex, you're, you're feigning shock and surprise. But the plan, I mean, the plan is clearly get Mick Schumacher in that Ferrari at some point, win championships, glory, etc. He, he'll be in that seat in less than five years. Five years? Without, less than five years. Without, without, without a shadow of a doubt. And yeah, with, with that list, it's a really good list of drivers, actually, because, you know, Armstrong, Schwartzman, they're, they're, all, they're all really good drivers. Um, and I'm, you know, I wouldn't have expected them. However, I definitely expected Schumacher <laughs> to be in that car. Now, what they all have in common is that they are part of the Ferrari Academy, except for signs, of course. Uh, but what's interesting, and you may not know, is that Ferrari has signed a woman for the first time ever, to be part of its driver academy. And this just happened. Oh. And I'm going to apologize because I can pronounce the first name, Maya, but I cannot pronounce the, s- the second name. G- give it a go. Who? E-U-G, Dutch-Belgian, hmm. uh, born in Spain, uh, to be their first ever driver who is a woman to participate in the Ferrari driver academy. Well, Not that there haven't been women who participated in Formula One and hmm. other forms of racing since forever because that is also true but this is a particular milestone that has been crossed for the first time when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Now, there is some interest in that, of course. Um, We would, I think, as a decent and fair society, would at least want women to have equal opportunities and equal access to the opportunities to compete and to do well. And I think it would be be a lovely thing, if nothing else, because it would make little girls like my daughter, it would make Vivi look at the TV screen and go, ooh, I can be an F1 driver too. Um, or I can be interested in this because you, you, can't, you can't be what you can't see. I'm a big believer in that. Um, she's very interested, my little daughter, in watching W Series. We've enjoyed that. The racing's genuinely really good in that, which is cool. And um, even with Carmen Jorda, who was perhaps not there as an out-and-out talent in Lotus, it, from an optics point of view, Carmen Jorda and Susie Wolf testing in Formula One and being involved helped me as a dad in that way too. Yes. Well, I, I'm going to divert. I didn't plan to talk about myself all the time. Okay. But you do know that I have taken on an occasional writing role at the Formula One subreddit. Yes. We we have discussed this in the past, and my very first article is out now, tomorrow, soon-ish. Ooh. It's about the 24 hours of Daytona, and in doing my research, and uh, first of all, it came up, they were in 1966, there was an all-woman team. The Ring Free Oil Maidens, but a particular name, Janet Guthrie, who was the first woman ever to qualify and race in both the Daytona 500 and the Indy 500, and that was back in the 70s. So, what I will say to you as you are looking for role models for your daughter is that if you look back far enough, they are there. Roger that. I will look out for that. And hello, by the way, to our live chat room. We've not said a proper hello to them yet. You can join us live. Whilst we're, um, whilst we're broadcasting and you can see everybody's face. You can see Alex getting distracted and Steve looking enraged and grumpy at, at trumpets when he says something wrong. Uh, but you can actually join us and chat live with us by going to YouTube, searching for Missed Apex Podcast, and you'll get a notification when we go live and you'll get a notification when, um, when the, the new edited episodes come out generally 
on a Monday morning as well. You click the little bell and um, and, and it gets delivered to your phone. Um, it would really help us out if you're watching the video. If you could l- like and subscribe. I'm being that YouTuber. Like and subscribe, guys. But it, it really genuinely, genuinely helps. So I've got uh, no shame in asking you to do that for us. And if you're a Missed Apex podcast listener um, on the audio, if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes, that would be amazing. All these things really, really help us appear in the charts and give us a bit of profile. Uh, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. We are going to increase the amount of patron only streams, not by a, a huge amount, but for example, when we did the Joe Saywood show, I wasn't planning to stream that at all. But then I went, no, hang on, we can stream that to the patrons. It's less stress. I know you guys are invested and you're not going to kind of make my day harder. So we're going to do a few more of those. If you want to make sure you get an invite to all those streams, there's a, a $1 tier. I said one penny last week. Uh, sorry about that. I went to patreon and they don't allow a one penny tier so it's a one dollar tier and you'll definitely get all the streams but most of the streams will remain public matt uh yeah well and not that i want to ruin your day because i mean that's a pretty that's a good story it's a good story that formula one continues and the teams continue to try and work on diversity amongst gender and everything else this is a good story but there's also rumors out there that they may have made a major stride forward on the engine front. Oh, okay. This is big. All right. Tell me. So Marco, Helmut Marco of, of, off of Red Bull <laughs> said, yeah. um, said that he thought that not all of the Ferrari performance deficit was down to the engine. And you can imagine if they took such a big engine hit, maybe development for last year wasn't a massive priority. You know, maybe if there was some super secret deal where they had to lose the advantage they gained from a specific thing that perhaps they agreed was no longer technically in the rules and they couldn't improve that for a year. Why bother with the rest of it? You know, that could explain why they were so far behind. If what Helmut Marco says is true, they were only 50 horsepower behind. You know, that's not amazing. That's not a good thing. Um, but it probably doesn't explain why they were running, you know, sixth and seventh a lot of the time. So, yeah, this season, if they can overcome some of the engine deficit and they've saved a bit of uh, cash money, saved a few lira to um, a few euros to invest in this year, maybe that's a great thing for F1. Well, I think that it is. Uh, what's interesting to me is that whenever I talk to Summers about uh, Mercedes and their advantage, one of their biggest advantages is their ability to harness the MGUH, and to use electrical energy across more of a lap than any other power unit. So now, while I will say that any article that uses is understood to a lot, needs to be taken with the exact size grain of salt you would expect it to be. Uh, What we're hearing is that one of the things they're working on is improving the thermal properties and, and improving just the electric part of their powertrain to be more on par Mercedes. And in particular, they're talking about a new cylinder head and a new cylinder design that might help them improve the amount of pressure they're able to use, uh, a piston crown actually, uh, inside of the chamber. But what really caught my eye was none of that because that's all understood. What really caught my eye is that they're looking at doing a split design like Mercedes and that the team that's running it is being run by somebody out of AVL, which, if you were paying attention, was the, was the company that worked with Red Bull on their rolling road and driver-in-the-loop simulator stuff that they used to such great effect 
many years ago. So the fact that they've got AVL working with them is very, very interesting to me. And it suggests that, that they might be on a long-term project to, to be seriously competitive with Mercedes. Awesome. Okay. Well, that was quite a lot of Ferrari chat. I'd like to talk media now, if that's okay. I would like sure, to Sure, why not? Well, because, you know, it was significant that F1 was kind of taken over by an out-and-out media firm, Liberty Media. And I'm, I'm sure Steve looked at that with a particular interest as well. And I, I don't know about you, Steve, but I've always got this kind of fear that Liberty, being a media company, would come into the motorsport side of it and go, ooh, oh, oh, right, there's a lot more to this motorsport than we thought, or this isn't quite what we wanted. The plus side of it is, well, they're a media company and they understand promotion and broadcasting. So first of all, first off, as a professional kind of broadcaster, video producer, how do you rate Liberty so far? Have you been impressed? I think they've done a, a fairly reasonable job. I still have some criticisms of the way they use their AWS-derived graphics and how the algorithms work. But by and large, over the last two or three years, they've tried hard to improve. And I think that they've, towards the end of um, the last season, they, their graphics and the way that they were presenting them to us improved quite quite markedly. And I was suddenly starting to see some graphic information that didn't make me burst out laughing, but actually I was gaining good <laughs> insight from. So I think it's a matter of them getting used to the sport. Mm. Yes, they are a broadcast media organisation. Um, but apart from a few things, they don't actually produce bucket loads themselves. I think Formula One would have to be the biggest production that they as a media group undertake. Okay. Uh, and I think that they had to take a little time to get used to it. So by and large, I think they've done well. Okay, so but my fear was that they wouldn't hang around, and I, I was optimistic. For one thing, I'm a, a huge um, Americanophile. I don't know if that's actually a term, but uh, you know, I've always been a fan of like American culture and particularly uh, American media, movies, TV, and such like. So I wanted to hear commitment from them, and what we've what has been reported largely recently is that they're willing to invest like uh, a lot of cash into broadening their, um, you know, their media sphere and and promote F1. So here's what I know about the specifics from digging around J just before you get back in, Steve. Um, this is split between a couple of people uh, and I interrogated Mr. Carter, Matthew Carter as well, to, to find out what he knew. Um, so what I can gather is that they, ha they are having a big drive to increase their US visibility and in particular using digital media and promotion. Uh, ho hopefully that includes podcasts. Uh, and also that they're really targeting a younger demographic as well, Steve. So it feels like they're committed. They're doubling down. They're, they're being bullish. Well, I would agree with that. Um, <clears throat> I think everyone will understand that in order for them to survive, they have to engage a younger audience. Uh, you know, the, the, the people of my age will, won't be here for very long. So oh. they have to find ways to engage a younger audience. Uh, and that will probably mean doing some things that us old fuddy-duddies won't agree with, you know, in order to be able to sculptor their product to attention spans and, you know, geographic location, you know, considerations and all of that stuff. But to see them putting their hand in their pocket and saying, okay, we are going to 
develop what we have must mean that they have found value in what they've done so far. Otherwise, they wouldn't be going to spend the money. Yeah. Yeah, so it's good. So it doesn't look like they're they're going to run away anytime soon. No, I wouldn't have no, I wouldn't have yeah. thought so at all. In fact, exactly the opposite. The fact that they're going to spend reportedly half a billion dollars on this means mm. that they must see a, a, a that they have a, a you know, a viable future in it. They should invest exclusively in podcasts. No, not the interviewee <laughs> one. Who wants to hear questions with people that have had long careers in F1? What a terrible format. Who thought of that? Uh, and, and no podcast with young people. 40, 40 is the, the minimum age of a podcast host for any podcast they, they invest in. Uh, everyone tell them we exist. There's surveys on their page and they ask you things about where you find out. Um, F1 fan, what's it called? F1 fan voice. There's lots of surveys there, and they always ask, like, where do you get your F1 content? So if you want to go and check that out and tell them that Mr. Apex exists, that would super-duper help. Uh, but, Matt, it's interesting that they are going back and really having a, a target at America. And what I'd like to see them is to be unashamedly American. And, you know, maybe there's a feeling that, oh, they're in a European, South American kind of territory, and they don't want to overly Americanize it. But we could we could do with some... Some razzmatazz. Well, the thing is, if you want to appeal to Americans, you have to appeal to Americans. But what appeals to Americans doesn't necessarily always appeal to your established audience base. This is one of the needles that they are very much going to try and thread. Look at me saying that all correctly. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's one of their biggest challenges. The advantage they have, because you could go back, you could go back and read articles from the year 2000 in which... America was talked about is, a, is, a, is oh, we, we need to get more Americans to watch. We need to get more Americans. This has always been a thing because we're a big country over here. It's 300 million people. We'd like to have a share of those eyeballs on our sport globally. But the fact of the matter is because we're so big, we're, uh, we're also very fractured. We go a million different directions. It's hard to sort of, you know, herd the cats all into the same room, so to speak. Liberty's advantage is they are an American firm. And they have a very specific expertise in media. So if anybody can actually make this happen, it's very, very much going to be them. Good. But it, yeah, so, so we will see. But it's, from my point of view, very positive that they're choosing to invest in the sport at a time when lots of businesses are going the opposite direction with stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I, I'm looking forward to it with optimism. I'd like to see them embracing uh, new media. And there's so many like fan bases around. Well, look at our look at our fan base, you know, a million downloads in, in 2019, a million downloads in 2020, half a million YouTube um, downloads or, or, or views of the post-produced show um, in both those years too. And we've had up to 6,000 people on race reviews come and check us out. So we're a... Uh, we're someone that's got a listener base or a viewer base similar to the readership of some of some big organizations that are accredited and acknowledged. So I really hope, you know, that um, Liberty Media acknowledges that people like us do at least exist. Uh, Alex, I want to talk about drivers and driving styles. Sergio Perez leading the Aston Martin team last season, renowned for having a kind of careful style. I get annoyed by his kind of lap one lap one he always seems to just fall back in lap one ducks out survives true goes long that's fine i'd like to see him be a bit more aggressive on on lap one but we've got vettel in that aston martin seat now uh someone who is 
well, he's just a lot more aggressive. He's happy to try and pin it. Doesn't always work out when he pins it <laughs> out of exits. But it's going to be a different driver direction for Aston Martin next season. And uh, yeah, well, I don't know. You'd have to fundamentally change your car, wouldn't you, between Sergio Perez and Sebastian Vettel? Yeah, Force Racing Martin are going to be a interesting <laughs> team next year. Um, but you're right. You've got two very different drivers. Seb drives very on the nose which means he likes to get the front end in and then plant it. And I think um, Sergio likes to have some sort of tequila while he's driving around the track and the way he seems to drive, because it, they're very different. Seb wants to be there at the start to be there at the end. And Perez wants to just make sure he's still there at the end. And what you'll get is you'll get a very decent baseline car. I think you'll probably see a very similar philosophy to last year um, where they'll have that very stable base. And I think you'll see a very flat car um, and that will benefit. And then what you can do is you can tweak that to make it work better for being on the nose or better for being a bit more balanced and looking after tires. But I think they'll actually complement each other quite well. The thing is, Alex, I'm looking forward to seeing Vettel in not a Ferrari and seeing him in a car where he can get on the power because I don't know, it feels like we've kind of been robbed of potential Sebastian Vettel. He's not so old yet. So, you know, if he's, if he's got a more, a more stable, he likes the rear end stable is from what I can gather. Well, if you think about it, there was the two seasons where they actually got the aero package to work properly. And those two seasons he fought for the title. Yeah. So I just, believe the car hasn't been where he has wanted it to be for the last few years um and that's what sent him backwards he then got in his own head and has brought himself down i think this new challenge should revitalize him if it doesn't it's not going to last very long right so let's admit the true facts to get on the power first you have to have actual power and both at ferrari (laughs) and at red bull it was not always the case for him especially in this era But having said that, I have a little technical information that that might be interesting to all of you. We're listening, sort of. In that, that because of clever manipulation of the rules, which is entirely legal, uh, Racing Point, Racing Point, Force Stroll, what are we calling it these days? I don't know. Whatever we call it, Aston Aston Force Stroll Racing Point India. There we go. I've just said them all in case some of them are right. Okay are going to be inheriting last year's Mercedes rear suspension in which they changed the mounting point in order to allow more room for the rear diffuser to develop volume. And you might ask yourself, why are you saying all these meaningless words at me? Well, allow me to simplify a little bit. It's moved the center of pressure of the aerodynamics back. What does that do? It gives the car more rear grip. What did that let Mercedes do last year? It let them design a car that was sharper at the front so it could be turned in without losing rear grip. What is the one thing Vettel has always complained about? (gasps) Losing rear grip. Not having a stable rear end. What is he going to have with this car this year for the first time ever Mm. since he left the exhaust blown diffuser era? A stable rear end and a power unit that gives him all he wants when he stomps on the throttle. I am looking forward to see what he does with this car. I got to agree with you, Matt. When I read that story, the first thing that struck me was that finally he may have the one thing that he has been wanting for you know the last five or six years, because yes, his driving style is you give me a concrete 
back end and let me drive the car and he just hasn't had it and perhaps that's been the issue with him continually spinning in that you know he expects the back end to be very planted and it just hasn't been so I actually think that this year for him is going to be you know an exciting year and with a little bit of luck I think he'll begin to really show that he is I mean I'm not a big Vettel fan but holy moly he's a four times world champion so you can't just discount him like that to pour a little bit of water on the um, Sebastian pa- Sebastian Vettel party that we're kind of having at the moment and saying, <laughs> yeah, he's going to be great. You talk about um, he didn't have that grip there for that amount of time. He's supposed to be a four-time world champion. He's supposed to be one of the greatest. You do kind of just deal with that. I don't think you'd have seen, and I, it's going to hurt saying this, I don't think you'd have seen Alonso making those mistakes I don't think you'd see Lewis making those mistakes and um, you know I I think someone who is of that caliber shouldn't be making those mistakes as regularly as he was making them maybe he was overdriving maybe he was unhappy maybe he wasn't getting Mm. the support he wanted but you manage it and you deal with it there was a lot of yeah, to back Real you up. pushing errors. Yeah, well, to back you up, I mean, his teammates weren't making those mistakes either. Yes, they weren't on his pace, but that that's fine. I think that is partly because they were number two drivers as well and partly because they weren't as good. Sorry, Kimmy and Massa fans. But Chuck uh, wasn't making mistakes. No, and, and Charles Clerk hasn't been making those mistakes. Well, Vettel still has been. Now, really interesting conversation we had with um, with Stuart Mitchell from Race Car Engineering Magazine, uh, Matt, that I, I understood at least some of it. You know, talking about how in this era he was explaining why cars go suddenly and why we see a sudden loss. And actually we saw Albon struggle with that a lot in like practice sessions too, with the car just suddenly going. And he explained the reason and I can't remember why, but my point is that, um, you know, maybe Vettel was at the extreme end of that and suffering more than other people. Um, Alex, what is it? And then uh, Matt, I want you to remind me of, of what Stuart said. I actually listened to that show, Ooh. Um, and uh, it was because these have got lots of uh, lots of mechanical grip, and they're not really limited that much by the mechanical grip, but they're limited by the aero grip. And once the aero runs out, because they're always on the limit of the aero, once that's gone, there is no saving it, and there is no return. Wow. Okay. Well, did he get that right, Trumpets? Well, let's check in. Yeah. In in essence, that's what he said: is that when the aero balance gets upset and goes away. There's no saving the car. There's no transition. But what he also talked about was the interesting concept of driver resolution, where things happen faster than the drivers can yes. perceive yeah. them. And I think that might be what you were getting at. But yes. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's fix, 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 gone. There's no transition to I've, I'm losing it and I can save it. The driver resolution chat was actually really interesting, Alex, if you, if you caught that, which is, you know, basically the we're at the limit we're getting towards the limit of what like humans can actually respond to. So we, we get, got to get to a point where we need to dumb down the regulations so that the driver plays you know, a role. But again, that's another reason for the young drivers because they have the reactions to deal with that. As we stated, when they get to 21, 22, whatever it was Matt said, um, they start to, to lose that resolution. Um, so yeah, that, that resolution chat was very interesting. And I, urge anyone to go back and listen to that show because it was very very informative yeah yeah. normally like you know people dismiss the tech time shows out of hand and that's fair i understand that so that episode was only downloaded 17 times in total uh so but but honestly do go and do go and check it out i mean i was on it so so you know it's good man yeah and and not to prolong the argument overly 
<laughs> but to prolong the argument overly, I, I do want to step back in with a little bit of a vettel defense here before okay. we move on. Yeah, let's do it. Which is that I would happily argue that even when he came his closest to mounting a charge at Hamilton, which I believe was at 17, then we figure out there was like one year where he might have beaten Hamilton, maybe. 17, 18. I would yeah. Ar yeah, I would argue that if I'm driving a car at 99.9% .9 of its maximum, and you're driving a car at 99.3% of its maximum, it's not really going to be surprising that I make more mistakes than you. Because I have less of a margin of error. And the one thing I would argue that Mercedes has always done is it's provided Lewis Hamilton with a bigger margin of error than anyone who might have been his competitor. So mm. I'm not going to hold it against Vettel that he made those mistakes. But I'm going to be interested to see if he's given a car that's in the same target window as Hamilton what he's really able to do with it. Alex, come on then, counter. Are, are, we, are, we, are we discussing here that we actually think that that force racing martin are going to actually be a challenge to mercedes next year no or we or, or is is that the conversation you're trying because i'm i'd I'd, I'd I'd absolutely love it but in my mind i see it as only again only being Merck and red bull in it but um what are you is that what you're saying or no i'm i'm saying in the odd battle between the two of them which could happen oh let's say because of safety cars or this or that pit stops maybe that I'm looking forward to seeing the two of them go at it when Vettel has an equal-ish weapon. Now, they did do an interesting comparison. Last year at the seven tracks where the tire compounds overlapped, Forrest Stroll was half a second off of the 2019 Mercedes time. So fundamentally, they're a half second out on their understanding of the car compared to Mercedes. Okay, but and they are beginning to close that gap. And if they close it enough, then yeah, we might see on uh, in the right conditions on the right track, we might see some interesting stuff. That's all I'm saying. Okay, next season's top five then to end the show. And I've remembered comment of the week this year. Next season's top, because Alex has piqued my curiosity there by saying, uh, you know, where do we see Aston Martin? And actually, I'll, I'll start and each person before they do their thing, Tell us where you can find you on the internet and the stuff you do. You can find me at Spanners Ready. I've got loads of content for you. Spanners 90s Radio. If you're a Spotify premium, if that's where you get your streaming service from, if that's your music streamer, Spanners 90s Radio. Bit of chat from me. A few 90s tracks. Um, the last episode, I had my daughter as my co-host, and she was broadly fine, but she, like, slates me all the time. She's savage. She did spend a lot of the, the podcast just insulting me, my eight-year-old. It's sound. I've I've got lots of guests on there, and a lot of times just you know me just chatting along. And if you want some background listening, you can check it out. Sorry, Matt. Sounded like you were about to jump in. Uh, no, I I got distracted a bit by the chat room. I was going to say the comment out loud, but I decided I'd rather save it for the feature, which remarkably you have remembered. I have. So remain indoors. That's interesting. That's me and Matt just chatting about stuff. It's very general, but it kills a bit of time on a Thursday afternoon. You can join us live at Thursday, 2 p.m., or you can you know, download it afterwards on your podcatcher of choice. Missed Apex iRacing podcast that we mentioned before. That'll do for me. I'm going to say it's Mercedes out of the front, Red Bull second, McLaren third, Aston Martin fourth, and then Alpine coming in with a strong fifth. Alex Jeansy Van Jean, you do some YouTube streams. I mean, they're fine. I've I've watched a few. They're okay. 
The best I ones are many, the ones I I haven't done on. many um, racing streams lately just because it's really hard on my racing at the moment and I'm having to really, really focus and all the setup time it takes because I don't have a specific place to do my racing. I have to set everything up in the evening and it takes me long enough to set the rig up itself then to add all the other stuff involved involved around streaming and they just lose about 40 minutes of race of practice time I, so yeah until i actually have my own office and can do it properly i'll i'll be doing a little bit less but i have been streaming a game i love called elite dangerous which is a game based on a one-to-one scale of the milky way galaxy and you fly spaceships and travel through different places which is amazing um you can find me on youtube with my name alex van jean same thing on twitch same thing on um twitter and even on tiktok at so it's alex and then v-a-n-g-e-e-n alex van jean i have a permanent place for my sim racing rig now uh, but i had to be pretty sneaky about it there used to be a cupboard where that was and i came up with all sorts of reasons about why the the cupboard was dangerous it was structurally unsound the storage would be better in this section of the loft and then when the cupboard was gone sim rig went in there (laughs) and you're like that's convenient well, I have I have my whole new office completely planned out. The only problem is at the moment is my daughter is in that room um, and the building work hasn't started and hasn't even been approved. So I've built my office in my head, but I don't know if it actually ever happened, but we'll see. Top five. Um, next as season. far as teams yep. go, yep. I annoyingly, I agree with you. Yes. I think Merck, Red Bull, um, Ferrari. Um, I didn't the, say Ferrari. I, I didn't include Ferrari. I, I said Ferrari. No, I said McLaren. I no, McLaren. Sorry, yeah, McLaren, yeah. not Ferrari. McLaren. Um, yeah, McLaren third, followed by some somewhere between Aston and Aston and Renault, uh, Alpine, whatever they're going to be. Alpine, good. Steve, Amy, Uncle Steve, you put together our, our videos. Um, we've been experimenting making pre-recorded videos as well during the week when we don't want to do uh, a live stream. Uh, you've had to be very patient with me in teaching me how to put videos together, but. Broadly, they were they've been okay. Yeah, they've worked pretty well, and you know it's just another tool in the production kit that you have. And if it wasn't for Steve, this video of me would just be me in like a, a darkened corner of a shed somewhere with just like a window and like a purple background or something like that. So all the lovely <laughs> visuals are down to uh, Steve and everything on the website you see down to Felix as well. Just give Felix a shout out too. Um, Steve, how do you agree with our top five? Um, I agree pretty much. I think it'll be um, Mercedes, Red Bull, obviously, McLaren, I hope, will be three. The next ones are a bit of a toss-up, whether it'll be Ferrari Ferrari, and Aston or whether it'll be uh, Aston and Alpine. I'd like to think Ferrari are climbing back up, but I haven't necessarily seen any uh, proof of that yet, so I think I'd have to leave them out of the top five for this moment. That hurts, doesn't it? And you can't follow Steve on social media because whenever no. I've tried to get him to do it, he's like, ah, oh, social media, that's how they get you. You join Twitter, next thing you know, you've got to pay extra attack. And then I'm like, Steve, it's all right. <laughs> and then something about Bill Gates being evil, but I didn't listen to the rest. Uh, but... <laughs> no, you can't get me on Twitter. Why don't you come and watch some of our iRacing live stream sometime? There we go. That's just that, as good. That's all from Steve Amy headquarters. Trumpets, um, any variation from that top five? Um, I'm going to go with, and you're going to laugh. No, you won't. You will argue because that's what you like to do. Uh, I think Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari. You idiot. So, that's wrong. Yeah. No, I, 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 I am, I am, I'm won over by the Ferrari rumors 
of having sorted themselves out. They've got signs. They've got the clerk. I, I can see them having recovered a lot of their form, especially if they've sorted their power unit. Okay. If the power unit is all lies, then no, no, they won't be anywhere. But if they've sorted it out, then yeah, they will be back in the mix, I believe. Follow Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter. That's where he yells at clouds. There's no other way to describe your Twitter account. Uh, but also follow Matt's wife at A. Weaver Writes, and she writes romantic and interesting novels, of, often from a historical tilt, historical point of view. True fact, it often takes longer to read one of her books than it does to watch an entire Formula One Grand Prix. Fair enough. So your other half may be significantly distracted while you watch the race. Um, right. Um, all those links will be in the show notes of the YouTube video and of the podcast app that you're listening to this on. So please go check them out. Support the show at Missed Apex. So uh, on Twitter, at Missed Apex F1 on Twitter, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us and keeping keeping it running. The only reason we survive and the only reason there's off-season content like you're listening to now is because we are Patreon-supported. But now it's time for the support of our YouTube live chat to be rewarded with... Comment of the week. Alex has got two. Matt, how many have you got? You can have three. Alex, you have your two. And Steve, you decide the winner. I have ten. No, you but don't I will, have ten. I, I, I will, I will, I will trim them down to three. But okay. go ahead, fine, Alex. Which ones did you pick? Because maybe there's crossover. So I got Mike Stoner when we were talking about Jensen Button um, coaching the drivers. He goes, Jensen will drive the coach. <laughs> okay, okay, well, that's a dad joke. So I mean, yes, that that can win. This one's a two-parter with um, our friend Richard Malden. Um, love all the um, CGI that makes Steve appear the right way up. Um, and then um, Franconian <laughs> guy said, Steve is in the same studio that they filmed the moon, they filmed the moon landings. It's all fake. It's all fake. What are your ones, Matt? All right. We're going to start with um, Mr. Phil 1999. What's commuting, Daddy? I don't get it. COVID. Oh, yeah, no, that's true. Look, I, I just realized, actually, that I probably don't ever have to buy another car. <laughs> so I've been doing so little miles. Uh, go on. Let's move on. All right. Um, let's see. The next one will be, um, where we go? Yelmer Vanderlei, no more cooling issues if there is a freeze. Nice. A pun. Last candidate. And that's going to be Mr. A.J. Scotty. Driver resolution. 8-bit drivers come to mind. Oh, now I just want to hum the theme tune to Mario, but I can't because well, the video will get taken down. Steve, Amy, video man, Uncle Stevie Steve, who is the winner of Comment of the Week? Whoever said there'd be no more cooling issues if there's a, an engine freeze. I think that that's a good pun. Who is that, Matt? That would be Yelmer Vanderlei. Comment of the Week. Nice. Thank you very much to my panel, Steve, Amy, Alex Van Jean, Matt, two rumpets, and of course me, Spanners. Sorry you have to put up with me, but I'm the one who knows where all the buttons go and which ones you're meant to press at the right time. Follow me at Spanners Ready, the show at Missed Apex F1. We're probably going to be back here next Sunday with a live stream, but wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex.
Uh, it's exactly one hour. Anyone who says different is a Ferrari fan. It was less than an hour and a half. I'm, I'm massively impressed with that. I'm not certain I've been on a show that's been less than that, ever. I've been really trying to stick to an hour, and that was like an hour and ten. So that's pretty good. Yeah. You, you watch. Lewis will announce on Monday that he signed his oh, contract. Yeah, we never really yeah. talked about that, because I think we talked about it heavily on the news show with, with Peter Wright, and then we talked about it with Joe as well. So I didn't want to just keep going over that ground. But like, he's going to sign. Like, Just chill. Everyone chill. He's definitely going to sign. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.